You're listening to a 3CR podcast created in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au. Evil minds that plot destruction. Sorcerer of death construction. In the fields of bodies burning. Machine keeps turning Death and hatred to mankind Poisoning their brainwashed minds Welcome to the Anarchist World This Week broadcast across Australia on the National Community Radio Satellite. Listen to the Anarchist World This Week, Australia's sacred cow slaughterhouse. Listen to analysis of local, national, international events. Listen to analysis you'll never hear anywhere else. Hello, hello, hello. This is the Anarchist World This Week broadcast across Australia, courtesy of the Community Radio Network. This program is coming to you from the studios of 3CR in Melbourne. That's 3cr.org.au. The program is podcast. You can access it by going to 3cr.org.au. My name is Joseph Toscano. I'm hosting today's program. Well, well, well. Anarchism, anarchos, without rulers. What gives rulers the ability to launch wars, pauperise billions of people, stuff money in their pockets, inequality in power and wealth. So the anarchist struggle is the struggle to devolve power and break down hierarchy and devolve power, that's share power, and the struggle to hold wealth in common and use it for the common good. Very, very exceptional ideas. It's a pity that a lot of people think that human beings are you know, tainted with original sin and unless we've got some type of sovereign, some type of queen or king or president or religious guru or mullah, you know, or priest, you know, somehow we will rape, kill and murder each other mercilessly. It's obviously it's the other way around. Anarchy is order, government is chaos. Government, centralised authority needs a monopoly on a monopoly on the use of violence through the courts, the police, the armed forces in order to maintain its integrity because of the inherent inequalities in society. So if you are involved in the struggle to share power and hold wealth in common and share it and use it for the common good, well, you're an anarchist, so welcome aboard. And if you're not involved in that struggle, why are you not involved in that struggle? All right, let's move on. The sen- My name's Joseph Toscano, just in case you forgot, and I, sometimes I forget. That's why I write it on a big label on the mirror so I know who I am in the morning when I wake up. The census salsa. I mean, census are interesting um, documentations, really, when you think about it. Every five years, the state attempts to gain information about the type of society we are. And the census, theoretically, is used to allocate and provide services to different parts of society, different communities. It's it's supposed to help in the legislative framework at a local, state and federal level. But the census do, does highlight 
how society changes. And I was interested in a few little facts and figures uh, which really highlight the type of society we've become. Now, although there are 11 million, pri- 11 million dwellings, residential dwellings, on this continent, that's 11 million for 25.6 million people, one million of those dwellings were empty at the time of census. Now, obviously, some people have multiple homes and have holiday homes, and other people, you know, land bank, they buy homes and uh, wait on the capital gains, can't even be bothered getting tenants in. But it's interesting, isn't it, that out of 11 million dwellings on this continent, about 9%, 1 million, are empty. We're empty at the time of the census. Quite extraordinary figures when you look at the cost of housing and the cost of mortgage repayments and the cost of rental repayments. Another interesting fact, which most people didn't really seem to understand, especially our so-called media commentators and media experts, was the fact that uh, the number of caravans in the country have almost doubled in the last five years. And a lot of people said, oh, you know, it's people having holidays. Well, the fact is very simple. For an increasing number of Australians, the only way they can survive and keep warm is basically to have a caravan, which they can put in some caravan park and be charged extraordinary rates for the privilege of uh, sitting in that park somewhere in Australia. So the main reason the caravanning numbers have increased is not because of people are taking holidays because of COVID, because obviously they couldn't go anywhere, but because of the increasing pressure on homeless, increasing pressure regarding where people live and how they live in the type of situation they find themselves in. Now, I do a fair bit of travelling around regional Victoria. I haven't done much travelling around Australia recently. And it has surprised me to see the number of caravans which have sprung up in some out-of-the-way caravan parks where people on fixed incomes, some types of social security income, are trying to survive. So that's the main reason for the increasing number of caravans in the country. It's not about us being the holiday, you know, capital of the universe. A few other interesting facts in the census is the growing inequality in this country. Now, everything, everything that's happened in this country and most parts of the world over the last 45 years have resulted in growing inequality. And the census highlights that growing inequality. Irrespective of the type of government we have federally and state-based, growing inequality is part and parcel of the legislative framework that we are currently pursuing as a nation. Because you see... Although we supposedly live in a democratic society, in a free society, in a society of opportunity, the fact is that if you don't have the right assistance, you will find in the majority of cases that people basically work 
in order to survive. It's that simple. Your work in order to survive, and the census data highlights this growing inequality. It's all very well to say that it's the growth in housing prices has actually made us one of the richest communities in the planet, but unless you own more than one house, the rise in housing prices is relatively irrelevant because you've got to find another place to live if you sell your home. And just in case you think we're a society of homeowners, it's interesting to see that only about a third of Australians own their own home outright. That's a third. A third are paying off a mortgage and if they're really lucky in 30 to 40 years, they can leave that mortgage to their kids when they go sh- shuffle off to the next world. And, and about 35 to 40% are now renting or living in caravan parks. That's the state of play as far as housing is concerned. And obviously in every state, especially in the state of Victoria, which I'm familiar with, the public housing sector continues to shrink rapidly every year because of government policy. Now, what's another interesting thing about the uh, facts and figures? Well, the baby boomers are kind of moving away to the next world. I'm one of them. That's, that's, that's the reality. But interestingly, I was very interested in the health, chronic health situation. That about a third of Australians have some type of chronic health problem. What I found uh, extraordinary was that over 2 million Australians, that's um, almost 10%, diagnose themselves with a major health issue. And most of these major health issues revolve around the concept of uh, anxiety and uh, depression. Now, obviously, there are sections of the population who have endogenous psychiatric issues, that in plain English that means psychiatric issues that are related to uh, genetic factors or related to very difficult childhoods. That's not the majority of that two million people. The majority of that two million people who define themselves as being anxious or depressed or have some type of uh, mental, in inverted commas, issue is a direct result of the type of society we have become. And it's interesting when you hear people talk about things, it's all about the economy, as if the economy was this living, breathing entity. It's about the market, as if the market or the markets were these living, breathing monsters out there in the world. And when we talk about female emancipation, it's about participation in wage slavery, as if participation in wage slavery is some type of uh, godsend. Well, it may be a godsend in terms of getting income, because in a society where there's no you know, basic uh, income, guaranteed income for individuals, obviously you need to be part of the wage slavery in order to get some of the good things in life, like the ability to pay your rent and mortgage. So it's interesting. And for a significant degree, much of this anxiety 
and depressive illness is directly related to the type of society we are, a hierarchical society, a competitive society, a dog-eat-dog society. And although we're told there are all these facilities and uh, government agencies and private agencies and non-government organisations which can assist us, the reality is at the end of the day, unless there are major structural reforms in the type of society we are, where we decrease pressure on individuals, both at the uh, schooling level and at the work level, will continue to have this pandemic, that's right, pandemic of mental illness. Any other interesting facts in the census? Well, considering that we have an election, we have an electoral system where people whose parents and grandparents may have been all born overseas who may not actually be able to constitutionally sit for federal parliament, it's interesting to see that over half of the population has a parent or parents born overseas. So there's a lot of interesting facts, but I think what the census highlights is the inequalities which exist in our society. What it highlights is that we don't all start on the same starting line. Of the 5.5 million family units in Australian society, over a million are single-parent families, and single-parent families have their own difficulties, not just in terms of uh, income, security, stability, but in terms of caring for offspring when you've got a childcare system which is basically designed to maximise profits for the billionaire factory, and I'll talk about that later on. So it's worth a look at, but what we need what we need to do is not just look at the census, but what we need to do is not just look at the facts and figures, but what we need to do is actually extrapolate into the type of society we've become and why we find ourselves to a significant degree in this situation. So it makes good bedtime reading, but that's about it. Good bedtime reading, because what we need is major structural reform. Reform which is based, as I said at the beginning of the program, on the devolution of power and the holding of wealth in common, not the siphoning of wealth into fewer and fewer hands. Because we do find ourselves in a very interesting situation in 2022, although every day is interesting when you're alive. There's this constant struggle in Australian society between private power and public interests. And what we've seen over the last 40 years during the deregulation, privatisation, globalisation, corporatised revolution what we've seen is the domination of the political process, the domination of culture, the domination of the Australian Broadcasting Corporation, the domination of the political system of representative democracy by private interests. And it's only when push comes to shove and we're faced with an emergency, 
that public interest begins to have some is included as a factor in decision-making processes as far as legislation is concerned. It's only when it's an emergency. It took decades for the climate emergency to become a climate emergency because of the resistance of private power, private interests. It has taken decades for the concept of having a roof over your head for a reasonable cost to become part and parcel of the current political process. So while we allow private power, and especially centralised private power, to dominate every aspect of our existence in this country, whether it's the media, whether it's food distribution, whether it's the pharmaceutical industry, hardware, you name it, we will find that public interests will never be taken into account. Never. So we need to change the equation. We need to change the percentage. We need to put the concept of public interest, the interests of the many, before private interests, before private power, the interests of the few. And for far too long, whether it's our culture, whether it's the way we interact, whether it's the way we work, whether it's you know our deepest you know uh, desires to acquire more and more goods and services, the fact is that every aspect of our existence in a capitalist society, which is based on the concept of private investment for private profit, is based on the idea of creating artificial demand in order to maximise profits. And when you allow private power to dominate the marketplace, the economy, culture, interpersonal relationships, legislation, we find ourselves in a situation where if that continues, we find ourselves in a situation where we will never be able to change anything. And that's the crux of the matter. That balance between private power and public interests. And it's extraordinary that in 2022, so many Australians continue to think that the way forward is to give private power, private interests, unbridled access to the community. And that's a dilemma. And this is a particular ideal... This is nothing new. It's an ideological battle which has been going on for decades, over the last five decades. It's an ideological battle which, to a significant degree, people like you and I have lost. But we are now coming to a situation where the dilemmas which are caused by the monopolisation of power and the monopolisation of the legislative agenda by the private sector 
are causing so much harm to so many people, and especially in an era of increasing interest rates and inflation, that people may actually start thinking about the fact that public interests is what is essential in any society. Now, if you get sick today in Australian society, you'll find the vestiges of the public health system will, in its own way, take care of you. Obviously, there'll be mistakes. Obviously, people will die unnecessarily. Obviously, there'll be waiting lists. But at the end of the day, there is a public health system there. And that public health system is there because of the agitation, activities, strikes, occupations, petitions, political campaigns by generations of Australians who understood that if you leave essential services like health to the private sector, only those with resources will be able to acquire that treatment. But we forgot that lesson. We forgot the lesson of the 19th century. The 19th century was the heyday of Western capitalism, where the state's only function was to ensure that those who controlled society, those who had acquired wealth, continued to dominate society through the state having a monopoly on the use of force. We've forgotten that. We have forgotten what life was like in the 19th century in the Western world. And the rest of the world, which has been exploited by the Western world. When you see Queen Lizzie celebrate her 64th at 70th year as a queen, who are a platinum jubilee, and we see the jewels and the pomp and the ceremony, we forget where that came from. It came from a brutal colonisation process. When we look at history and we look at the way people lived and died a hundred years ago, we understand how private power dominated every aspect of society and the state was basically an instrument via which private power was able to impose its will on people. So today, in the 21st century, in 2022, we have forgotten. We have forgotten uh, those lessons. We have forgotten um, what society is based on. We have forgotten. We have forgotten. We no longer remember. We've forgotten. We've forgotten about struggle. And why? Because it is not part and parcel of our DNA. To look backwards to see how we've got from A to B. How we got from the harvest decision, which introduced a basic wage at the turn of the beginning of the uh, 20th century, and the type of 
industrial relations we have or workplace relations we have in 2022, you begin to understand what's happened and what is happening. Now, it is no accident that here at the Anarchist World this week, we continue to promote a celebration of significant moments in Australian history. It's not just about some historical reenactment. It's about highlighting how significant change came from events which were initiated, promoted and carried out by people trying to improve their situation. Whether it was the Eureka Rebellion in 1854, whether it was the establishment of the the trade union movement, whether it was the colonisation process and the resistance to the colonisation process, whether it was the strikes and occupations of the 1920s and 1930s during the Depression, the struggle after World War II to ensure that the sacrifices that had been made in World War II to defeat fascism weren't incorporated back into a ruling class. That's what history is about. It's about teaching us what happened in the past so we can understand what's happening today and so we can actually attempt to change the future. Now, a lot of people tell me, well, Joe, you've spent over 50 years pursuing change, pursuing radical change. What have you got to show for it? It's not about what I've got to show for it. It's not about what you've got to show for it. I mean, I can't show you my uh, Rolls Royce or Learjet because I ain't got one or my half a billion dollar yacht. I ain't got one or my mansion by the sea, I ain't got one. And I'm sure everybody listening to this program finds themselves in in the same position. But what we've got to show is through our struggles that have put public interest before private gain, what we have to show is public health public education, public housing, public infrastructure, a social security system, the national disability insurance system. Obviously, these systems are wanting and they continue to be wanting and will continue to be wanting while we have a small group the 1% that own the means of production, distribution, exchange and communication, continuing to dominate the parliamentary legislative agenda. But that's what we have to show. We have to show through our struggles that these institutions continue to function in our society. We need to defend them, And most importantly of all, we need to extend them. What society in its right mind would privatise water? Australia. What society 
in its right mind, would privatise energy production, Australia. What society in its right mind would privatise large sections of the National Disability Insurance Scheme, Australia? What society in its right mind would privatise the aged care delivery system, Australia? And I could go on and on and on for the rest of the program, but I'm sure you'd be bored. I'm sure you'd be bored. Because that's what is happening. That's the situation we find ourselves in while we allow private power to dominate public interests. And while we continue to rely on market forces, the so-called economy, private investment for private profit, capitalism, which is private investment for private profit, we will continue to reap the same harvest. Think about it. It's simple. You don't need a PhD to become an anarchist. You don't need a PhD to understand what's going around on around you. And this is the dilemma in the 25th, 21st century. Everybody's a professor. Everybody's got the answer. But the answers they talk about are answers which are constrained within one framework. And that framework is the private investment for private profit model. People say to me, Jay, you're dreaming. Thinking that maybe I watched the castle. <laughs> you're dreaming when you talk about having a national energy system where public interest as far as energy production is, is essential. They think you're dreaming. Well, we had one and we allowed it to slip through our fingers. People say to me, Joe, you're dreaming. You're dreaming when you want the establishment of a vaccine production company that you want a national pharmaceutical company which is publicly owned. Well, we had one. The Commonwealth Serum Laboratory, which was privatised by the Keating-led Labor government in the 90s. We had one. We let it through, slip through our fingers. People say to me, you're dreaming when you want a bank which is owned by the people. A Commonwealth Bank. We had one. The Commonwealth. Commonwealth of Australia. The Commonwealth Bank. We had one. We weren't dreaming. What we did is we began to believe their propaganda. We all wanted to become rich overnight. We all became little investors in our superannuation funds. We all felt that, you know, you know that this is the way to go forward, is to compete against each other, to privatised assets which were put in place for the benefit of everybody, the public interest. This is the way forward. Well, obviously, it's not the way forward. And it's never been the way forward. And it'll never be the way forward. Because all we've reaped is increasing inequality. Now, in many regards, increasing inequality in Australia is papered over. We don't see people starving in the streets. Occasionally you may, but you don't see people starving in the streets. 
but it's papered over through a financial system which has made most of us prisoners to the financial sector by our need to borrow, in inverted commas, buy money. That's right. You, when you, you know, when you borrow money, you're buying money. You're paying to be, you know, given some money to, you know, pay your bills. And you'll find that Australia is one of the most indebted countries per head of population in the world. Because prices, especially in the housing sector, become so ridiculous that a million-dollar property is the norm in 2022. So change is possible, and history has shown us that change is possible. History has shown us that nothing is impossible. But while we think of the private investment for private... While the private investment for private mantra continues to be part of our structural DNA, our intellectual DNA, our cultural DNA, our emotional DNA, the chances of change are minimal. And that's the dilemma. While people still believe the system can save them, while people still believe that the state is their ultimate protector, while people still believe that through their own efforts they can make it big, the reality is change won't occur. And the great thing about living in 2022 is we're reaching a crescendo. We are seeing firsthand, more importantly experiencing firsthand the issues surrounding the private investment for private profit mantra which has taken the place of religious fervour in Australian society. If we go back to our census data, we see that almost 40% of Australians have no religious belief. Well, I, I disagree with that. I think 99% of Australians do have a religious belief. And that religious belief is not based on a God in the sky or eternal salvation or some prophet, you know, prophesizing. That religious belief is based on the acceptance that the only way forward is through the private investment for private profit mantra. That is the religious belief we have today. We worship mammon. But we worship mammon at our own peril because we don't control mammon. We see these illusions that somehow we too can become rich. We too can become independent. We too can become famous. The reality is different. Capitalist society is based on the idea that only a few profit and they profit ultimately at the expense of everybody else. You're listening to The Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia via the Community Radio Network. This program is streaming live on 3cr.org.au. That's 3cr.org.au. My name is Joseph Toscano. 
You can access more information. Go to the YouTube channel, Toscana for the Public. Public Interest before Corporate Interest webpage, pibci.net, anarchistmedia.org webpage. You can leave messages on 0439 395 489. Write to us at Post Office Box 20, Parkville 3052. Email at anarchistage at yahoo.com. And the list goes on and on and on. Obviously, if you feel a need for change, now's the time to get involved in that struggle. Let's move on. Next week, 3rd of July to the 11th of July is NAIDOC week. N-A-I-D-O-C. Does anybody really know what NAIDOC week is about? I'm sure that some listeners do, but let's start at the beginning. Now, NAIDOC week. NAIDOC stands for National Aboriginal and Islander Day of its Observance Committee. Now, talking about the census, a lot of people f- believe that the 1967 referendum regarding uh, the Commonwealth taking power over Indigenous communities was a referendum about Indigenous people being counted in the sen- Senate. And we saw about 800,000 counted in this Senate, in this census. I should say census, not Senate. But it's extraordinary to think that before 1967, the Commonwealth Government had no power whatsoever regarding legislation regarding Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islanders. And you know why? Because after 10 years of debate, referendums in every state, which eventually agreed to federate, where the colonies agreed to federate, that this country's First Nations people who had inhabited the continent for around 60,000 years were not included in the Australian Constitution and they continue not to be included in the Australian Constitution. They were not included. They didn't exist. The Commonwealth Government, the federal government, had no power. And we saw various state governments introduce repressive evil legislation to control every aspect of the lives of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islanders to the extent of stealing children in order to assimilate them into the white population. And it's extraordinary to think there was no Department of Aboriginal Affairs created until the Whitlam-led Labor government was introduced legislation to create a Department of Aboriginal Affairs in 1972-73. And in 1974, the newly created Department of Aboriginal Affairs, Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander Affairs, made a decision to create a week to highlight the contributions and culture and languages of Indigenous Australians. And that first NADOC week was celebrated in 1975. And it continues to be celebrated. But the extraordinary thing is, as I said before, is colonisation began in 1788. Federation occurred in 1901. 
And it wasn't until 1975 that NAIDOC week began. And it wasn't until 1972 that, again, the much maligned Whitlam Labor government created the Department of Aboriginal Affairs, its own department within the Commonwealth structure, Commonwealth government structure. So next week, from the 3rd to the 11th of July, there'll be activities around the nation. And I encourage you to get onto your search engine or contact your local Indigenous groups and find out what activities have been organised in your part of the world, whether it's West Australia, whether it's the Northern Territory, whether it's Tasmania, New South Wales, ACT, Queensland, Victoria, Tasmania. There are activities all over the place to highlight the role Indigenous people have played and continue to play and will continue to play in society in the 21st century. So that's what NAIDOC Week is about. Reconciliation Week, different concept. It marked the day of the referendum and the day of the Mabo decision. But NAIDOC Week was about celebrating, celebrating, celebrating. So it's up to you. You can ignore it. We can all ignore it. I ignored Queen Lizzie's platinum anniversary. I ignored the... Queen's birthday, holiday, I actually worked on the day. But it's up to you. Think about it. There are many Indigenous groups involved in NAIDOC Week across the country, many activities, many festivals, so it's up to you. NAIDOC Week, 3rd to the 11th of July, which is this Sunday. That's right, the 3rd of July and the 11th of July, I think is next Sunday, if I've got it correct. Let's move on. The new lick of paint. Isn't it nice? Isn't it nice to have a federal Labor government in power? And I've noticed that the paintbrushes come out. The new lick of paint. The sharp edges of the previous government have been chipped away. The putty's been put into the little holes. The paint, the things that the putty's been painted over... But essentially, what we are seeing under this current government, and obviously they need time, and I'm not criticising them, I'm just highlighting, is the new lick of paint philosophy as far as government is concerned. No changes, no big changes. Oh, maybe we'll help Julian Assange, you know, that's all right. Maybe we'll do a bit more money here and a bit more money there and maybe we'll kind of, you know talk about things that should have been talked about and move towards doing something about the climate emergency. But as far as the structure of the organisation, the Commonwealth of Australia, as far as the relationships, as far as the need for constitutional change, as far as the need to introduce legislation to put private power back in its box... As far as legislation to ensure that the trade union movement once again becomes the powerful section of society, it should become. No. Lick of paint, a bit of putty in the holes, looks nice, looks pleasant. You go outside, nice blue coat or red coat or pink coat on the building, but the reality is 
that if you want major change, if you think there'll be radical change, if you think somehow that inequality which exists in our society will somehow be dealt with, if you think there'll be nationalisation of this country's essential services, including energy, if you think the corporate sector is going to pay their fair share of tax, well, I'm afraid you'll need to wait because it's not going to happen with a new lick of paint. What we need is structural change. We don't, li- we don't need putty to be put in the holes to stop the wind blowing through the house. We don't need to put a doormat under the door to stop the coal coming in. Obviously, it helps, and a new lick of paint helps, but it's not going to change the reality. To change the reality, we need major structural change where the interests of the many, that's the public, is put before the interests of private power. We need to be discussing things like community-public partnerships. Instead of siding with the private sector to provide services and goods, why not side with community organisations which are assisted by governments to provide those services? Think about it. So what we need is a change in the direction this country is going a major change. Because if we don't have a major change, we may have legislation which somehow you know, ensures that people who've been marginalised and pushed around, criminalised, are once again incorporated into society. But as far as changes which will change that structural inequality that occurs is fundamental to the type of society we have become. I don't expect that change. I don't believe that change will occur unless there is a push from below. And that's the lesson. Everybody says to me, why did the Whitlam Labor government in four years introduce more more reformist, proactive, progressive legislation than the history of Parliament since 1901. It didn't do it because it just happened. It did it because of the pressure, the agitation, the strikes, the occupations, the protests, which occurred in the late 60s and early 70s to ensure that a universal health system called Medibank in those days, now Medicare, was introduced to ensure that legislation was introduced to assist single parents, to ensure that the community radio network that you're listening to this program through was part and parcel of the broadcasting scene in this country. And it was introduced to break the monopoly that the privately owned media had and the ABC had on the dissemination of ideas. And the list goes on and on. So the the fact is that if you want change, it has to come from below. It has to come from agitation and a push for change. If there is no agitation, if we leave things to go up the right channels, if we think that if we beg and beseech and 
doff our caps that somehow more crumbs will be brushed off the corporate table in our direction. It's not going to happen. It only will happen when you soar off one leg of that corporate table and the table begins, you know, to tilt. And as the table tilts, the reforms increase. And that's the history of change. It's that pressure from below which forces those who exercise authority to devolve power and share wealth. It's that pressure from below. And it's not good enough to push a button and say, that's very nice, like, and it's not good enough to rip out the power source and say, I'm not going to look at my computer anymore or look at my TV anymore, throw a brick through it. That doesn't really help anybody except the TV manufacturers or computer manufacturers when you buy a new one. It comes from agitation. And it can be a local issue, a national issue, a regional issue. But it comes from agitation, not just regarding personalised issue or single issues, but agitation regarding the centralisation of power, agitation regarding wealth, how it's created, how it's distributed, agitation regarding a universal basic income. So it goes on and on and on. But ultimately, change will occur only when you demand change. I'll give you an example. The billionaire factory. Now, did you know that a, a billionaire is created every 30 minutes somewhere in the, on the planet? So there must be a factory somewhere creating billionaires, all right? There's a billionaire factory. I've decided there's a billionaire factory. Remember that chocolate factory that you had? What was the movie? I've forgotten, the little kid's movie, you know. But there's a billionaire factory. And how do you become a billionaire in Australia in 2022? One... You're given this country's natural resources to develop on behalf of the country, but don't actually pay much tax on that. You're given the resources by the government of the day. Or you're given the key to the Treasury. And how are you given the key to the Treasury? Well, it's very simple. You're given the key of the Treasury when public assets are privatised. And so what happens initially, there's hundreds of little companies competing against each other, and within three to four years, you'll notice there's three or four major corporations which now dominate that sector. Aged care, childcare, NDIS, and the list goes on and on. And how do they become rich? They are providing services to the Australian people on behalf of the government of the day. So they've got a little highway with trucks going into the Treasury every day and pulling out hundreds of millions, if not billions of dollars during the year, billions of dollars, going to their pockets because 40 cents of every dollar that comes out of that Treasury to provide an essential public service on behalf of the government of the day goes into their pockets as profits and costs, but mainly profits 
That's how you create billionaires. So, boys and girls, if you want to become, you know, one of the high priests of mammon, that's what I suggest you do. All right, let's move on something a little bit more interesting. Now, this Saturday on the 2nd of July will be the Ellen Jose Art Award for Young Women. Now, some of you may, or most of you, older listeners would remember Ellen Jose, my wife, who died, late wife who died five years ago. Well, the Ellen Jose Art Award for Young Women is basically a collaboration between the Bayside City Council and the Ellen Jose Memorial Foundation. And it provides, this is the inaugural prize, it provides a $15,000 prize which is um, donated by the Ellen Jose Memorial Foundation to some to young women artists in this country. Now, Ellen, you know, there are some people who do things for themselves, some do it for their family, some do it for their ethnic group, some do it for their language group, some do it for their tribe, some do it for their nation, but there are people who have got a universal yearning to do things for society as a whole, for the human race as a whole. And Ellen was one of those people. She was she was half a century ahead of most people. One of her, uh, some of her more famous artistic endeavours were her 1991 exhibition in Search of Lost Innocence, which raised the issue of childhood sexual abuse publicly in 1991. 1992 exhibition Black Diggers Ghost Fighters once again raised the issue of the black diggers and how they were ignored and marginalised after World War II and the effect it had on their families, including her. Then we've had the uh, seminal exhibition, Life in the Balance, which uh, looked at the climate emergency in 1993-94. So we're looking at somebody who was a visionary. I mean, her exhibition in the dark, dark, dark days of uh, the Howard regime, a fact is a fact, up yours wind shuttle in 2003 was the catalyst for the Tanaminaway Morbohina struggle, which resulted in the erection of one of the first, well, I think the first major monument to the frontier wars in a major capital city in this country in 2016. So you're all invited. Saturday, the 2nd of July, the Bayside Gallery at the Brighton Town Hall, 2 pm to 4 pm. Uh, try to book bookings, www try booking t-r-y booking.com forward slash capitals b-z-t-q-d or just arrive on the day hope to see you there on saturday thank you once again for listening to the anarchist world this week on your local community radio station this program has been streaming live on 3cr.org.au courtesy of the community radio network Facebook pages, Joseph Toscano, Toscano for the Public. Want to learn more about the Ellen Jose Art Award? Go to the Ellen Jose, J-O-S-E, Memorial Foundation Facebook page. Ellen Jose Memorial Foundation Facebook page. Leave messages on 0439 395 489, 0439 395 489. Uh, YouTube, Public Interest Before Corporate Interest. Websites, pibci.net anarchistmedia.org, emails, info at Anarchist Age, and the list goes on and on. Just go on the net. Thank you once again for listening to The Anarchist World this week on your local community radio station. Listen in next week to The Anarchist World this week. Evil minds that plot destruction Sorcerer of 
death construction in the fields of bodies burning as the war machine keeps turning death and hatred to mankind poisoning their brainwashed minds welcome to the anarchist world this week broadcast across australia on the national community radio satellite Listen to the Anarchist Woolless Week, Australia's sacred cow slaughterhouse. Listen to analysis of local, national, international events. Listen to analysis you'll never hear anywhere else. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.